Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. This is the Reverend Dr. Michael Hegeman, the Associate Director for the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life. Today we are in conversation with Emma Worrell, who is a fourth-year student at Princeton Theological Seminary doing a dual degree, both as Master's of Divinity, Christian Education with an emphasis in spiritual formation. So we might hear a little bit more about what all of that means here at the Friend Park Center for Faith and Life here in Scottsdale, Arizona, along with Pinnacle Presbyterian Church, is hosting the uh, a set of seminary students who are all musical, but they're here for this week in January to take a class, to learn a lot about local culture and history, but also to experience uh, how the church unfolds in, in a place just like North Scottsdale. So, and so Emma, we're welcoming you here into a conversation to talk about seminary life and how, you know, for me, attending Princeton Theological Seminary 30 years ago and uh, kind of living out in the world post that experience and being involved in church life. And what's it, what's, we're going to talk a little bit about what was it like to attend seminary or is like attending seminary and what are your hopes or visions for where you, what your role you're going to serve in the church to come? So I know that wasn't a question yet, but so uh, we'll, we'll start with that. I'm going to, I'm going to start with just with that sense of um, for me, 30 years ago, coming from the metropolitan Phoenix area to go to Princeton Seminary, I had this expectation that seminary was going to be a place where everybody loved each other. You know, that was that, my whole sense of like, we're just going to learn about God and it's everybody's going to, you know, get along. <laughs> and I didn't realize that when I entered seminary 30 years ago, that I would step into the in the midst of conflict. And that there were deep theological debates at that time, and that the seminary was not immune to living living in and through conflict and trying to discover uh, how to navigate that theologically. You know, so uh, my first question too is, what was your what was a preconception you had about seminary that might have been different from what you experienced? Yeah, of course. So thank you for asking me to do this. Um, so I first heard about Princeton Theological Seminary when I was nine. My mentor uh, graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary in 1991, um, and she uh, had told me that she had gone there. Um, fast forward quite a bit, uh, she was kind of helping me look at schools and working through the uh, the ordination process, and she brought me to visit Princeton Theological Seminary. And um, when I had been accepted, I was excited, and I had this notion that when I got to seminary, I was going to have the best time of my life, that I would learn a lot about God, learn a lot about how to be a pastor, um, yeah, and just kind of like almost camp feels, if that makes sense, going to Christian camp for a week. Um, that's kind of the expectation that I had going into seminary. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, things have changed a lot in these in these many years, but also just in the last few years. You know, Princeton Seminary is somewhat unique and it's it's trying to hold to a tra- traditional model of uh, residential education, which means that people are coming for their three year degrees and beyond. There's other degrees that are offered, of course, like you're doing, but they're coming for a time period 
where they're in residence and learning. It's not. And so Princeton Seminary historically has had very few commuters and no online learning. And this is all the recent developments. But you came. Tell us what exactly you came in relationship to the pandemic. And so and how the pandemic either changed your experience or changed the seminary just a little. Anyway, it's like, what was it like to be doing this to this during this time? Well, you chose a fun person to answer this question. My seminary experience started out different than other people. Um, so in the summer of 2019, I was actually working in Uganda and almost died. So I um, I got malaria, typhoid, E. coli all at once. I'd been vaccinated for all of it, went into septic shock and almost died. And then spent three weeks in Uganda in and out of paralytic states, in and out of hibernation states where I would sleep for 20 plus hours a day. So I came home, was home 10 days, and then went to seminary. (laughs) So that's how my seminary experience started. But I remember my first night at seminary, we had orientation. We had a very long orientation, like a 10-day orientation. Um, And the uh, chaplain of the seminary at the time, the minister of the chapel, Reverend Jan Ammon, she uh, gave a sermon, and she started it out by saying, what do people say when the lights go out? Just give your eyes some time to adjust. And so she talked about, um, you know, when seminary is such a different experience that you're going to experience all these different things. Um, your faith is going to be deconstructed and you're going to have to reconstruct it. But the main thing I remember her saying is this is a community. and You guys need to be here for each other. And that's how this, my personal seminary experience started was this idea of you are a community. And I think um, the president at the time who just retired this last semester, uh, Craig Barnes, I think he really, in the last 10 years, had reoriented the seminary to try and focus on this community. So we are in a covenantal relationship with each other. We sign something that says we are in this covenantal relationship with each other. We have um, community gardens. Everyone kind of shares things. Um, so if, you know, someone, we have a, like a, almost like a food bank in the basement of different buildings where you can get food if you don't have enough money for food. If people want to, people will trade stuff with each other because <laughs> they don't really have a lot of money, um, things like that. So I think I started out seminary with that covenantal community and really felt this, like, I have a community here. Fast forward a bit. Um, I was working through my own stuff. I had health issues. Um, uh, yeah, back and forth the doctors. But then, um, so I had actually never been in Stewart Hall until my third year. That's where we um, do most of our classes. And anyway, during winter break, the chapel flooded because there was a water main break. So when he came back in the spring semester, we had chapel in the basement of Mackay where we eat. And then um, we were there until March-ish time. We had reading week, went home, got an email saying we're going to extend reading week because people are getting sick everywhere. And then they said, all right, um, we can't, school is going to be done for the semester. If you live in the dorms, please come get your stuff, fill your car as much as you can, and anything that's left, leave it where it is, and you can get that another time. So it was in the spring semester of my first year that the pandemic started. Wow. You know, that's the, you know, it kind of in some ways overshadows my culture shock experiences <laughs> of coming to seminary. And there, I think the what Craig Barnes and some others had tr- tried to achieve about building community were just direct result of other times during, you know, in seminary, in Princeton Seminary's history 
where there was very little community, you know, and there's a lot of isolationism and territorialism. I mean, yeah. there's things that I didn't expect when going to seminary. Um, and each academic discipline within the seminary kind of saw itself as uh, separate from the others. You know, there was just that whole yeah. antagonism, uh, a sense of an, um, territorialism, which it seemed uh, antithetical to especially the way that we, we see about the early church idealistically, the early church unfolding in the book of Acts, mm. you know, where they, I, I love the idea that, wow, community food banks within yeah. the seminary, uh, that's a, what a wonderful idea, you know, and by the sense of that reflects the, the second chapter of Acts, the fourth chapter of Acts, really, where they, people are holding things in common as a Christian community. The New Testament also is a model for living with conflict, too. I mean, because right. through, throughout the New Testament, we see uh, the church, church is in conflict. And I think often, I often, you know, kind of ponder if we wouldn't have as much written by New Testament authors, if there hadn't been conflict, you know, just because um, so much of the, the context of Paul's letters and other letters are the fact that, you know, he could come in and teach them for a few weeks or maybe months about this new radical new thing called you know, faith in Jesus uh, for, for the Greek-speaking world, it was just a whole new thing, and then he'd go away. Yeah. And they they first started off saying we love each other <laughs> and we're a loving community, and then boom, their humanity became all too present. Yeah. Well, and yeah. that kind of did happen during the pandemic. So I don't want anyone to think this is a utopia of <laughs> theological students. Our country became very polarized during the pandemic, and the seminary community was not immune to that. We had, you know. Every, everyone had their opinions about what should be done, but I will say the healthcare team did a very beautiful job of almost immediately sending resources to students, putting flyers up around campus and living areas, saying things like, how do you love your neighbor? You mask, you keep your distance, you wash your hands. And then also, how do you love yourself? You take time to just sit with what's happening. You go to therapy via Zoom, <laughs> you do these things to protect yourself as well. And also here are some resources. Um, so I think that the seminary healthcare team did a beautiful job in that aspect. So for me personally, masking was never political. <laughs> Not once was it political for me, yet I know elsewhere it was very political. Um, but there was this sense of, is this actually working? Is me staying alone in my apartment really keeping other people safe? Um, and also for me as someone who's immunocompromised, can I see my friends? Can I be in a bubble with people? Can I trust them? And so there, I mean, you put anyone in isolation for six months at a time, things are going to get a little bit heated. Um, yeah. And so during the pandemic, we were home, we finished our stuff at home. Um, for the rest of the semester. And then from 2020 to 2021, that academic year, we were all online. So uh, they allowed us to move back to campus to the CRW campus, which used to be married housing, but now is not. During the pandemic, it became not married housing. Um, so I moved there and lived in a one bedroom apartment and did my schoolwork there. But it was still kind of it was very isolating. Yeah. So what do you think in your the education you're doing, and we'll find out a little bit more about where you where you think it's like taking the degrees that we you know mentioned begin early at the beginning, begin bringing together that master's of divinity with Christian education, with an emphasis in spiritual formation. 
before we get saying, where are you going, but saying, what tools from seminary, maybe just the, the, the seminary classes itself. I say thinking you're the, the kind of classic, what we think of as I'm, I'm studying the disciplines of church history, Bible, theology, and practical theology. In those minutes, what are the tools that you feel like you've gained to help you deal with you know, a post-pandemic world? Or it, even if we can consider post-pandemic at this point, but yeah. it's like a, a world that is dealing with the trauma of the pandemic and living and, and learning to navigate that. It's a very good question. Um, I think a lot of my learning has come from me being so sick, um, almost dying, working through that kind of when that happened, my whole idea of who God was changed. Um, my whole idea of God as a protector changed. And so for me personally, a lot of my seminary education has been trying to work through this um, and just kind of figuring out, okay, my faith has been deconstructed. What do I believe now about God? Um, so during intro to Old Testament, my first year, my professor was a godsend, quite honestly. Um, and the most important lesson I learned that year was the beauty and sacredness of um, lament being a form of worship. And that has carried with me all through seminary and is something that I think that I can bring with me into a post, if we can call it a post-pandemic society. Because growing up, for me, and you know, a lot of churches in general don't really talk about lamenting. Don't talk about being angry at God. These moments when you're like, God, where are you? God, I don't think I need to repent in this situation. I think maybe you do, even though that's not the case. But I think that, you know, these are real human emotions that we feel. And our society right now is pushing toward, um, we're going back to normal. We can never go back to normal. As someone who has almost died, who has gone through trauma, you can never go back to normal. So, how do you live in a new a new world almost now? And I think, um, yeah, that's really helped in a lot of ways um, in being able to name those things. In terms of ugh, the seminary itself, there, there are so many different tools, I think, that I can take with me. Um, you know, in my um, youth ministry classes now, it's, Okay, how do you serve a community online? <laughs> how do you kind, of, which is very difficult to do. How do you um, make a space for students to, you know, feel like they're with each other, to feel less alone? Uh, my professors did a great job. And one of the things I love about Princeton is that the professors practice what they preach, at least in the cases that I've been in. So, for example, I was in a youth ministry class that we did online. And so we were trying to learn, okay, how do you care for students during this time? So my professor put together, um, my professor put together these boxes that had toys in it, that had things that we would use throughout the semester, brought it to every student's apartment and left it outside. And so we had these boxes that connected us and it was like, okay, someone's thinking about me. And there's also a lot of forethought put into that for kind of lessons that we were going to learn um, throughout the semester. So I think things like that was very helpful. Helpful. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question so much. It's no, kind no, of an no. Example. I think we're on the right. You know, you're, <laughs> you know, kind of opening up that idea yeah. that the seminary world, at its best, is never disconnected from the world, the life that people experience 
outside the seminary. And even that we have these terms inside the seminary, outside the seminary, kind of points to a problem. You know, yeah. the sense of yeah. you know, saying the why that there shouldn't be there shouldn't be these kind of strong demarcation of, you know, or boundaries between those two worlds. That these worlds should be very fluid. And I think that's what's the um, the benefit of saying, well, 30 years ago, I had a different experience. Well, of course I did, because it's the people who come with their experience right. that and that shape, and the people that come concurrently or at the, the same time, mm-hmm. these are the people that shape your seminary experience, my seminary experience, and each person's. And so we have this sense of that each each class is anew, you know, and uh, anyway... It's the bringing of the world into the seminary. But we don't want to say that the professors themselves who are residential and have been there a long time aren't bringing the real world into it. We've <laughs> always hoped that. Yeah. But as I was hearing you talk, I think about uh, the work that I do in ministry within the church it is, you know, some of the big questions that I face, too, are seeing as people are entering end of life, you know, times, yeah. whether that's just through natural aging process or through accelerated deterioration through some form of disease that many people, I mean, again and again and again, I see people who are faithful, loving, all their lives have been in service and doing this. And they come to this time and they say, I didn't expect to suffer at at any point in my, I just didn't expect my body to go through this or my mind to deteriorate. And so I'm on the I'm the one who walks beside these folks or among other our, others of our ministers, too. But we to walk along, folks, and to ask these questions myself, I say, God, how how do I understand this person's suffering uh, in light of the fact that I know you love them deeply? And right. so that's a that's a big thing, because, you know, the place of where where I serve, we have a, an aging population. And it's a sense of it's almost gut wrenching to look out at many of the people that I personally serve within this congregation to say, ten years from now the majority of these people won't be here. And how do I live in the chain of God's arc of the God who enters into history? I mean, to make that that claim, I say when I say radical, I mean root based, very deeply rooted idea that God enters into our experience. Um, How do I walk beside them? And so your your focus is going to be. You know, the first steps out of seminary, your plan is to be working with younger people. And is that that's correct? Well, right. yes, I'm in the ordination process in the Methodist Church right oh, okay. now. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm on the elder track right now to be a pastor of a church. Um, but there are other options with that. But I love working with youth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, again, there you don't expect we don't expect youth to be suffering either. But where where do you think where does the the world you're experiencing seminary most intersect? with people you may encounter very soon in the church? Sorry, big question. That's a big question. <laughs> uh, you mean with youth well, or people Well, I could just start that. Like, let's start with youth. Mm-hmm. Why, would, why would youth need the church? Let me just say it that way. Why, what does the church have to author young people today mm-hmm. that, you know, that just does that, that the church is relevant and the church is important for their lives? I would say many people, regardless of age, feel like they're alone. You see it in youth. You see it anywhere from youth all the way up to the elderly, especially the elderly. Um, If you talk to most teenagers, they'll say to you, no one understands me. 
And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in seminary and the biggest view that I have of God comes from the story of Simon of Cyrene helping Jesus carry his cross. For me, Simon takes a Christ-like stance. So you have Jesus who's battered and broken, carrying the cross, struggling. For me, that's people who are suffering. Jesus kind of takes on that posture. Then you have someone who comes up beside him. Some stories, <laughs> the centurion makes him come up. <laughs> Other stories, he just helps Jesus carry his cross. So in my view, regardless if you're working with youth, regardless if you're working with adults, regardless if you're working with the elderly, as someone who is a pastor, you're taking this form of Simon of Cyrene. You're walking with people as they carry their cross. And so kind of what does that look like? So the reason that the youth need the church, especially right now, especially right now, our world is very polarized. Youth experience not only things in school, but online. They are constantly on their phones. And in that space, they are being told they are not good enough. They are told that they are not branding themselves properly. So how do I brand myself as in marketing? How do I market myself to make myself look better? How do I put on all these things to say, I'm having a wonderful life. Other people be like me. And that's a very lonely place to be in, to be in the spot where I don't really know who I am, but I'm expecting all these other people to see me a certain way. And I don't know if that mask is correct. So the reason that the youth need the church is so that they can come somewhere to be fully who they are, 100%, to be in a space where they are told you are loved for who you are, you are made in the image of God, and what about you reveals something to me about who God is. To say that in itself is empowering the youth to be like, oh, I'm, I'm not someone who's forgotten. I'm not someone who needs to wear a mask. I'm someone who reveals something about the creator of the universe, and also, I'm loved in this space. And how do you create a space where they feel okay to be themselves, to be loved completely for who they are? So I think that, you know, you can go anywhere, really, to have kids get together and have fun. But how do you, what makes the church different, right? So you bring them to a space and you walk through the Bible with them, but you're also walking through life with them so they're not in this alone. I don't know if that, that absolutely, makes sense. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> and that, you know, there are elements of that which face every generation of young absolutely. people. Absolutely. But yes. there are newer elements where there's a hyper, there's a hyper reality and a hyper, I, I can't think of the right word to, to extend hyper with, but hyper, there's a <laughs> hyperness to um, every aspect of, of teenage angst. Right. And it's, it's not even, the worst part about it for me, it's, it's not even attacking the person's physical look. It's attacking their very core. So, like, to have your very core attacked is almost like, um, there's a, what story is it? I'm thinking of a story in the Bible. I, I, I'm thinking of, you know, someone who's naked and being battered and bruised and having all, so you're exposed. Not only are you exposed, but you're surrounded by people who are throwing stones at you and saying, you're not good enough. And I'm going to attack the very center of who you are. That's that's a very raw and vulnerable space to be in. I yes. 
And, you know, I think what you pointed out for us, too, is that the, the one part of the Christian message is that Christ stood in that place as well, of absolute vulnerability. Yes. And to, we, some, some people would phrase it, phrase it, he took on the sins of the world, but we can say he took on, you know, the shape and dimension of all of, of, of human of human experience. That, I mean, that's for me personally in my own journey in this last four years has been the thing that's really saved me. The really thing that's really kept me alive is, and just this um, sense of in my anger at God for everything I've experienced. Also having this in, in reshaping my idea of who God is and in my atonement theory class and, and all these different cases of learning about why God came here as a human. For me, the thing that sticks out most is that God came here and felt everything that we felt. God came down as a baby, born into a marginalized group of society, was born into poverty, <laughs> all these things, and then experienced betrayal, loss, friendship, love, joy, but has experienced these isolating moments as well. And that for me has, has been, um, God is not a God who just is I am, who is God with us. God is a God who knows. God is a God who knows. When someone says to you, oh, I know what you're going through, they don't. <laughs> oh, or I understand what you're going through, they don't. But for me, the only being that does understand. And when God says, I know, I know God knows everything that I'm feeling. And that for me, and for many people, I think is this life-saving, this lifeline of, okay, God understands. At least someone understands. So. And I'm glad that you have that message to, to bring uh, into the world as well, not just the church. You know, when I was, uh, you know, I think look, looking back at my seminary experience and uh, many people who seeing many people over the years experience that they said they often say talk about the ways that they survived seminary. <laughs> and I'm sure you could tell your stories about that. But it sounds to me more that you more than survived seminary, that you contributed to your seminary, your, your own seminary experience and those around you by participating. I love those phrases of covenant community, but also uh, wrestling, wrestling with not only wrestling with the text of the Bible, not only wrestling with the atonement theories, or all the, all the different theories <laughs> yeah. and, and theology, but to, but to strive. And that's the part, too, is a sense of we see that, that wonderful story of, uh, of Israel. His name was Jacob. Jacob, who uh, becomes Israel because he strove with God right. and wrestled with God. Wrestled and so God. I and, and and was more because of it, even though Jacob was. He bore the, he bore the, I mean, the way the story tells, he bore, he had a limp the rest of his life. Right, yeah, right, right. But the sense that he more than thrived in that experience of wrestling with God. And it sounds like that is part of your story. I wouldn't say I've thrived. <laughs> <laughs> Survived is good. Uh, okay, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm living in that eschatological hope that yeah. uh, all of us each, you know, is more than survived. That's why I say to myself, I more than survived my work in the church right. because, because of God's grace. I will say that. I've been very intentional about trying to, you know, help, not even help, walk alongside some of the the smaller cl or the younger classes 
to kind of I was uh, Anamkara, which is basically like a big sister yeah, <laughs> for a, some of the younger a, students. A Celtic word for those who don't know, Anamkara, yeah, which is a deep-seated friendship, right? Yes. More than friendship, it's a covenant, yeah, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and that that's part of the covenant community. Um, but things like that, being an OT, uh, Old Testament TA, things, you know, first year is very difficult. <laughs> so, really trying to um, be there in a way that my professors. And Pastor Jan were there for me, um, for some of the students that are coming in now who weren't here during the pandemic, but went through their own struggles during it. So, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Emma. Yes, and thank you very much for having I me. I hope that gives you know, at least some, some folks some flavors. You know, if, I'm sure we, if our listeners would love to have, you know, kind of raise some questions of their own, but, uh, but at least it gives a taste of some one person's experience in uh, delving into the world of seminary and how that have, feeds ongoing life together in the, what we call the church. Yeah. So thank you very much. Emma. Thank you. Please stay tuned for uh, further podcasts from the Out of the Park series and, uh, and here through the Friend Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.